Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our very good friends at Alumni Hall. They have a ton of great new Nike gear hitting the shelves right now, guys. The Nike stuff is popular, and it goes fast. So make sure to stop in today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com so you can lay claim to your Nike gear before it's out of stock. I'm your host, Tyler, and I've got my longtime co-host, Curtis, here with me today to help me answer your latest Georgia football questions. I told you guys last week that we were going to get to our spring practice primer series this week, and that's still the case. That's still going to happen. The original plan for today's episode was indeed to kick off that spring practice primer series with spring practice being just nine short days away. But as you all know, the Georgia football program has been headline news over the past week or so. Some of it great news, some of it not so great news. But as is always the case, anytime our football program is at the forefront of a news cycle, the questions from all of you awesome loyal listeners have been pouring in. And with the topical nature of these questions, we felt like we needed to carve out some time here on the podcast today to directly address them. So that's what we're going to do. The Spring Practice Primary Series is still happening. I promise that's happening. We're just going to kick that off on our next episode in the middle of the week. Today, though is all about your questions. It has been. It's been a good news, bad news type of week. And let's just go ahead, man. Let's go ahead and get the tough topic out of the way first. As you are all, I'm sure, very well aware of by now, a warrant was issued for Jalen Carter's arrest last week on misdemeanor charges of reckless driving and racing stemming from the untimely and terribly tragic deaths of Devin Willock and Chandler LaCroix. Jalen did turn himself in late last week and then was released on bond shortly thereafter before heading back to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. He did not participate at the Combine in terms of the drills, but did some interviews, medical testing, all that stuff. And I think all of you are aware of that. You know that. I also think most of you are aware of the AJC column written by Michael Cunningham slamming Kirby Smart and ripping the culture of the Georgia football program, which is exactly what our first question is referring to. And we might spend a little bit of time on this one, Curtis. It, it, it cuts it a couple of different ways, but we're going to kick off with Charles, 
who asked, what is your opinion on the AJC article criticizing Kirby Smart and the culture of the Georgia football program? Do we have a toxic culture in Athens? Curtis, what's your take on that? You know, I, I get, first of all, I'm going to say, like, I understand reporting and, you know, part of it is to ask tough questions and, you know, to cover the stuff that maybe some people don't want to cover. Um, but I, th- I think that a lot of that specific article is nothing but a hit job. Um, you know, of course, you know, a lot of this coverage has been good. Some tough questions have been asked. And I think things, some things may need to change or just there needs to be some, you know, protocol changes throughout the program. Um, but I think that to attack the culture is, um, I just think it was wrong. Um, you, you know, you don't see just because something like this happened. Yes, the magnitude people lost their lives and you can't discount that at all. But to say that that is a pure culture problem, I think is a, a gross overreaction, which at the same time, such a reaction is not a surprise when it comes from the AJC in particular. Um, but I, I get the questions and I want to say that like, because I think that you can't discount what has happened, but just blame it on culture and say it's all Kirby smart failing everyone. I think that that is just um, completely wrong. Cause I think the culture is actually has grown and stronger. I mean, you see all the things that the football program does to help out the community and be active in the community. So I think that it is an extreme stretch. Curtis, I a thousand percent agree with everything you said. That was extraordinarily well said. I'll just, I'll add here. I, I have to be honest with you guys. I have to confess. I did not actually read the article. Did you, Curtis? No, I refused to right. pay for articles from them, at least. Yeah, I, I as a rule, it's a principal play for me, guys. It's not just this article, this the, I guess of a column by Michael Cunningham. I don't read anything from the AJC. I include the Dog, Dog Nation in that. I don't read anything from them because over the years, I feel like they have had an a strongly negative slant towards Georgia and go out of their way. And you're right, Curtis, like they have a job to do. You have to report on things. And sometimes that means you report on negative things and and that, and there can be some tough reporting. I I understand that, but I feel like they go out of their way to try to, try to sensationalize things more often than not. And um, I'm, I'm a Georgia guy. All right. Now you can call me a Homer if you want. And there's probably some level of truth in that, but I am not going to, I'm not going to support that kind of journalism. I'm not going to subsidize a a, a group of people and a, a newspaper who tries to make money off the backs of my program in that way. So I, as a principal play, I will not give them clicks. So I have to confess, I did not read the article, okay, to put that out there. But I am also very well aware of what it said, looking at social media, message boards, talking to people that I know who did read it. I'm very aware of what it said. Um, and yeah, being a columnist is different than being like a beat writer, like like Chip Towers, who I think sometimes does go out of his way to report negative things, but that's okay. And it doesn't really, really always report on things that are um, going really positively within our program. Uh, but columnists have a, have a job to do, and it can be a tough job. Sometimes you have to write tough columns, and sometimes that's warranted. I, I totally understand that. My issue is with this particular column is how lazy and reactionary it was. Um, as you said, Curtis, you cannot discount how tragic the deaths of Chandler Croy and Devin Willick are and how avoidable they were. And that's what I still I, I struggle with is just how avoidable this was when these two young people in the I don't want to say they, they are in the prime of their lives. They haven't even gotten to the prime of their lives. And it was just it's just taken from them. They're taken from their families, taken from the program, all their friends. And it's just it's terrible. And I, I still struggle with that. So it absolutely was tragic. OK, and we have to continue to educate our players when it comes to racing and reckless driving and just and just in general being smarter and not doing things or put yourselves in that kind of situation. 
But I look at this art, the way I view it is I feel like it's just trying to sensationalize and capitalize off of this tragedy. Like it was a, it was a tragedy. All right. We and, and, and are there, as you said, Kurtz, are there some policy changes that, that need to be put in place within our program? Certainly, possibly. I, I don't know. I mean, did you see the interview that Curry did with, with Schleyball on ESPN, Curtis? I did. I did see that. Uh, I understand what he was saying, you know, and I think he, he's doing that to, 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 you know, to more or less say like, yes, there's not a culture problem. Um, it was more of a rule following problem. And I, I think it's kind of the stance it seems to be that he is taking. Yeah, I know that a lot of people have issue, or people who have criticized the program have an issue with the fact that it was a, a university leased. Um, what was it? It was an SUV, but what was it? It was an expedition. Or a sport expedition. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, expedition. And and I get that on the surface. Um, but as you said, it's more like it wasn't that we didn't have a policy in place that you know, said, hey, you can't just take these cars out for joy rides. There was a policy in place. As you said, Curtis, it's more of like a rule following thing. And we got to do a better job of making sure there are measures in place to en- to enforce these rules, I guess, more strictly. I-, I think that's fair to say. But to just flat out call out the culture within the Georgia football program and call it toxic, to me, that's just sensational. Sensational is at its finest. And you're capitalizing off this tragedy because they're trying. They know how hard how hardwired people are right now over this situation and they know the clicks in the eyes that this is going to draw they know the national attention that this that this story was getting and they saw this as a chance to get clicks and to get not attention. only that not only that but it, i mean god forbid a tragedy like this happened at georgia tech they would be covering doing whatever <laughs> they could to hold to carry the water for them oh of course you know that's that's just that's the way these things work curtis but you know i i, I think when i look at this column in particular the reason I have an issue with it again, it's I think I think it's lazy. All right, I think if you wanted the real story behind our culture, why don't you get off your ass and do a little research? It's very easy to say, "Oh, this tragedy happened." That means Georgia has a bad culture. Like that is lazy, lazy, lazy journalism. Like why don't you actually go out and enter? If you think you know what, maybe this is this possibly is this tragedy? Is it maybe endemic of some some sort of systemic issue within the Georgia program? Like with with our culture, like. I get why you might think, okay, let's let's explore this. Let's peel back the layers. But if you think that might be an issue, why don't you actually do some journalism? Why don't you actually do some research? Why don't you actually interview people within our program? Why do you willfully ignore all the positives coming out of our program? Why why don't you choose to focus on a guy like, let's say, Nolan Smith, for example, Curtis, and how he represented himself and the program at the NFL Combine? Why don't you choose to focus on those things? Why don't you do a little bit more research? Because it doesn't sell. And you know, if you do a little bit more research, you're going to dig around and say, oh man, Georgia actually has a really good culture. There's a lot of really good things going on with this program. Kirby Spartan does a lot of things bringing in different people and different entities from outside the program to try to educate his players. He goes out of his way to do these things and try to help develop these players. You you don't want that story. And how do you make sure you don't have to write that story? You just don't even bother to do any research. You don't bother to ask any questions. And I know the job of a, of a columnist is a little bit different than the job of a beat writer, but you're still a journalist. How about a little bit of journalistic integrity that's all i'm gonna ask for just a little bit just a, a small just a, a modicum of journalistic integrity there so that's my issue with it um but curtis like, let's get to the core of the question here though outside of just the article itself and how lazy and reckless i think the article was is there any truth to it that we might have like some sort of a of a culture issue within our program? I don't think so, but I'd love to get your take on that. I don't think it's a culture issue. I think it's an individual problem just because things happen between individuals making mistakes of like this whole thing is this racing issue saying that it's a culture problem at Georgia. I don't. I don't know exactly. We had two instances, right? Like two on the record instances. We have Pop Dumas Johnson arrested, um, or got a, was he arrested? Get ticketed for that. Um, and then we, of course, we had 
as we know, the tragedy with with Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix and, and Jalen Carter. But at, to my knowledge, those are the only two like known incidents. Is that right, Curtis? Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's a I mean, of course, I think it has to do, especially with what has happened and it being AJC. But just because kids are speeding around and, and you know, the whole thing, the body cam footage of the cop telling um you know, warning Jalen Carter to tell his teammates to slow down. I mean, realistically, it's nothing but sensationalism. To, to be honest, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Tuscaloosa the last couple of years, and I have seen many times players' vehicles, and it's obvious who they are because they, you know, players, as you know, want to put their names and their numbers on the license plate. So it's kind of obvious who they are, just absolutely zooming around. I mean, you have players committing murders on some teams. Um, you have all these things happening. Does that make it a, a true culture problem? No. Individuals make mistakes. You know, I think it, I can't remember who the player was um, at the combine talked about it. It's like, no, there's not a culture problem. People have made mistakes and they have to own up for those mistakes. And that's what it is. I think it's lazy to when one person makes a mistake or a group of people make a mistake just to say that, oh, my God, you got to group everyone else in together. Because, and you know, one reason it bothers me is because you see it throughout our culture in life that if one group of people does something, they say, sure well, wait, wait, you shouldn't say that the, everyone in that group does it. And they fight so hard to fight that um, bias and what you hear about, or like, so that people aren't all grouped together, but yet they have no problem doing it to a team. A hundred percent, man. And look, I, I want to pick piggyback on something you're saying there about how this is not necessarily a, a Georgia culture problem with the speeding is like, look, there have been multiple cases. There's obviously with the, with the tragic deaths here, we had pop Dumas Johnson not too long ago and you Jalen Carter. Well, um, there's a body camera. You mentioned that with the cops and Hey, do you like slow down? And I'm not going to sit here and try to carry water and say that our guys aren't speeding around and being reckless out there on, on the streets. No, like that, this happening. That's true. That's happening. Like that, that is true. Like that's, that's happening. My thing is, does that mean that there's a culture problem within our program? Is that exclusive to our program? You mentioned Tuscaloosa, Curtis. I know you, you said you spent some time there um, over the past couple of years. And uh, look, I'm just going to tell you guys, I work with young people for a living. That's what I do. This is not a Georgia culture issue. This is just a larger cultural issue among it's, it's, it's a youth culture thing, right? Well, that, but having, I having that. like some of these guys are into cars. Yeah. And when you and when you have when you and like when you have NIL money, right? Because like, it's all NIL, but you have NIL money, these guys can get souped up cars, right? Like Jalen Carr has this the what the Tomahawk Jeep, yeah, uh, Bob has a souped up like charger, hundred thousand dollar, uh, hundred thousand dollar Dodge yeah, or a Jeep that's pimped out. And the fact is, first off, these kids have money that they've never had. Like, yes, you know, a lot of things have happened in the past of people saying, no, people were played paid, but either way, these kids have the money to openly buy these things. They can buy these toys and you're giving young men access to toys that can go extremely fast. I mean, it, 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 I'm not saying I can, if I had those kind of cars and I was 18, 19 years old, I, I would like to think that I wouldn't have you would like to think I would, might have I just didn't have a car that could do that I had a car that could barely go yeah you you would like to think you wouldn't but 90 let's be honest 90 percent of the people would be corrupted by the ability that they could speed and do those things and show off these tools these toys that they have yeah 100 man so I'm with you dude like I, I do think it's it's not exclusive to George I'm not saying that yeah, we don't I, have like I think, guys I think, I think it happens it, all over the place it's a huge issue I think you're saying it perfectly it's not exclusive to Georgia this speeding and going fast in cars it I mean it's been going on since the the, the dawn of vehicles that could you know break 50 miles an hour 
And look, you know, Brian Gant, our, one of our, our really top player personnel guys, you know, he, and Kirby said it like we we knew like Brian Gant came to me and said, hey, look, man, there's a there's there's an issue in Atlanta with all the street racing. I've seen this. It concerns me. Some of our guys have an like we said, have access to these these expensive cars that are souped up, pimped out. And I, I'm afraid they might start doing some things like this. And we've actually proactively tried to educate them on this. It obviously didn't hit home well enough for everybody. And we need to be more, we need more, more aggressive with raising awareness there. But like, again, this is, this is not just a, a Georgia thing. And our coaches did try to raise awareness of this. It's like parents, you know, parents try to raise, raise awareness to their kids. Like, Hey, don't do this. Don't do that. You know what happens, Curtis? They still, still make mistakes. Yeah. They and and I think that's the biggest thing. And I think what you kind of said is perfect too. Our coaches were proactive. Um, you know, they didn't let this happen and hide it and just eventually get caught. No, that's not what happened. Our coaches were proactive and trying to train the kids and give them not and teach them to do better. Um, and like you said, it did hit for some of them, but th- does that mean that we just act like it was never going on and just hit it? No, that was not the case. We tried to, you know, teach the young men so that this wouldn't happen. Yeah, I agree. I, I just have a really hard time with anyone who wants to try to view this as indicative of some sort of systemic issue within the culture of our football program. Cause Kurt, like we were saying that the fact is, we got 85 scholarship players, man, 130 players overall within our football program. And the vast majority of them are somewhere between what, 18 and 21 years old. All right. Like the thing is, Curtis, like I would argue if you're going to use this one tragic incident, incident, I guess, along with Dumas Johnson and, and Jalen Carr with the body cam. So it's like three things that we know of max. If you're going to use that as evidence of, of a toxic or negative culture within our program, then by that logic, Curtis, every single program in America has a toxic culture because there is not one single program in this country that is immune from players getting arrested or getting into legal trouble. Hell, Curtis, Florida just had a quarterback get arrested on child pornography charges. So if we have a culture problem within our program because guys are speeding around, what does Florida have? I mean, that I mean, that's a disaster. Tennessee had multiple guys arrested during this season for domestic violence charges. Michigan. Mozzie Smith, they had a dude, their starting was a tackle. He was charged with a felony gun charge, and he still played in the playoffs. Those are far more severe offenses than what our guys were charged with. I'm not saying that we should absolve our guys from any sort of culpability. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you want to say that we have a culture problem in our program because some of the guys are speeding around, then what's going on in these other programs? Why don't they also have culture problems? 18 to 21-year-olds, Curtis, they make dumb reckless youthful mistakes everywhere in the country and within every program it, the, what happened here though curses our dumb reckless youthful mistakes just happened to result in this tragic tragic incident and now you got journalists you're trying to use that to get clicks and that's my issue with it right so i don't know you have anything else to add on that that's kind of i'm, I'm kind of really i just try to you know i when i'm asked about it, i talk about it but the last thing i want to do is give you know give AJC more attention because this is exactly why they've done it. Yeah. Curtis, that's exactly why I, I was hesitant to even like use this question. We got a ton of questions that you guys can imagine on this topic. Um, and most, I mean, I know we use, we, we use Charles's question because it's the first one I saw, but there was a ton of them on, on there on social media and, and email. Um, but I was really hesitant to even go there. Cause I, like you said, Curtis, I didn't want to give the, I didn't want to give the AJC any more coverage than they already get. Um, but I guess sometimes you have a, when a topic like this, it's hard to just ignore it when you run a, a Georgia podcast. So I feel like at the end of the day, we had to cover it and at least give our take on it. But um, yeah, man, I, I'm done. I don't want to talk anymore about it. It's just, uh, yeah, it's not, it's, 
I still have a hard time even with the Devin Willick and Chandler Croy thing. So let's go ahead and move on here, Curtis. Um, I guess let's stick with this, uh, the topic here for a second with our next question. This one's from Kevin. Um, Kevin wants to focus more specifically on Jalen Carter. And he asked, how much will the charges against Jalen Carter hurt his NFL draft stock? Curtis, do you see it being a major hindrance to his NFL draft stock? You know, I think it's going to hurt him. I don't think, I think he's out of the discussion for number one, if I had to be honest. But do I think that it's going to kill him and that he's going to drop out of the first round like you saw kind of with Laramie Tunsil or however far Tunsil dropped? I don't see that happening, no. Um, you know, I'd love for him to drop to the Falcons far enough at eight. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, the fact is I don't – I think he's going to – I just don't think he's going to be the top three pick, if I had to be honest. Um, I mean, right now they're misdemeanor charges. Um, you haven't really seen anything else per se that shows that they're going to really – bump it up to felony charges so i think yeah, you're, the, you're the legal guy here curtis do you like at, at this point now they've, now they've charged him with the the two misdemeanors what is the likely i know you don't have all the inside information on the case but just like generally speaking after they've already charged him with two misdemeanors what's the likelihood of them coming back and adding a felony to it it's not very likely because i mean and they could if any, more things are found but the fact is when it was first um you know, given to the solicitor's office, you know, recommendations that charges be brought. If the solicitor's office at the time thought it was serious enough, they would have, you know, then they would have sent recommendations and had it sent to um, the DA's office, which they didn't. So that right there kind of shows that they don't think that there was enough for felony charges, probably wasn't enough evidence per se of the to show that what they were doing was felonious, uh, you know, more or less like what was he up to? Did, did, you know, they try to, you know, a lot of this is that they were racing, but there's no, you know, nothing to show that he actually contributed to like maybe pushing her off the road or. Yeah. Cause, cause that, could that be vehicular manslaughter if it, if they could prove that, Oh yeah. Like he forced her off the road and that and caused, actually caused him to be right. That is what would have led to felony charges in my opinion. Um, and that's not the case. So it shows that there wasn't enough. I believe that they had enough to put him at the scene. Um, and this is all- over a month since the since the incident. Yeah. And so I think that they had enough to put him at the scene is, is what why there's um, misdemeanor charges, but there's not enough for felony charges. And if that if there was already you, the charges likely would have been brought. Yeah, that's that was my read on. It. I just wanted to get since you are a resident legal expert, I want to get your take on that. So if it does stick as just two misdemeanor charges, Curtis, I I don't I'm with you. I don't think this is going to like dramatically hurt his draft stock. Like it's going, it's not going to help. Right? I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, it's, it's no big deal. Like he's probably going to drop some because of this, but it it just all really depends on the the coaches, the 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 GMs, the ownership of whatever teams are looking at drafting him, like. How much risk do they? Let's be honest. Most of these teams have better investigators than the AC right. uh, Clark County Police do. Oh yes, they do. They have these guys on retainer, and they will dig and they will find out. Like, was this an isolated thing? Is this something that happens um, more regularly with Jalen Carter? Is it, is this just the 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 tip of the iceberg? Is it more like is it a symptom of a, a larger issue with him and decision making? Like those are the kind of things that they will look into. And you're right, they 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 will be able to dig up a lot more than than the Athens Clark County Police will. That's and they just yeah that that's very very true. Not an insult um, to anyone that may be a listener that is Athens Clark County Police. It's just, it's just the resources thing. Yeah, they have a lot deeper pockets. <laughs> they have deeper pockets, and they. And they don't have like you know how many how many cases are is the AACPD or the Athens Clark County Police dealing with on a, on a daily basis? Curse like they just don't have the manpower. You know you know there's sure like all these these different 
NFL franchises, they, they are looking at multiple guys out there to potentially draft, but it's not, you know, the, the same quantity of, of cases that police department will look at. So they have resources, they have the cash, they, you know, they, they will do a more comprehensive look into this and they can look at, and they also, they're also not tied with like legal, I guess, certainly you can't go like beyond legal bounds, but there are certain things that maybe these uh, PIs can do that cops can always do. Does that make sense, Curtis? Yeah, absolutely. Ways they, ways they can get information that maybe cops, you know, can't always do. So, yeah, I I, I think they'll do a comprehensive look into his background. And I, I don't think, Chris, I, I think he'll be still be a top 10 draft pick, right? Yeah, I, I would be shocked if he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't think he's going to drop out of the first round. He's just too talented. He's just too dynamic, Curtis. And these, these franchises, these owners, they spend a lot of money. And they, they spend a lot of money buying these franchises trying to win okay and if jay if they think jalen carter is a difference maker that's going to help them win maybe put them over the top they're going to over they're not i mean two misdemeanor charges are not going to hold them back from drafting it like if that's really all that it is i just don't think that's going to happen so i don't see him dropping out the top 10 i'm not an nfl expert you guys know this i'm, I'm a college guy i pay attention to the nfl and, and the pro sports but not i don't i'm not as deeply ingrained in it as i am the college game but Look, as far as I've been able to tell, I don't see how he drops out of the top 10. That's just my take on it. I think he's just far, far, far too dynamic and too talented for that to happen. All right, guys, before we move on to our next question, I do want to take just a quick moment here to remind you about our good friends at MyBookie. I know it's been a minute. It pains me to think about it, to say it, but the college football season has been over for a couple of months. There haven't been any college football games to bet on, but hey, it's March. You know what that means. It's time for March Madness. And there is no better place to bet on March Madness. All the chaos, all the fun, whether it's championship week this week, whether it's NCAA tournament here in a couple of weeks, then my bookie. They're going to have, of course, all the lines. They give you teaser options, parlay options. They have tons of March Madness props for you guys to bet on. If you think you already know who's going to win the tournament, you can go ahead and lay those future bets down as well with my bookie. March Madness is here, and there's no better time to bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
All right, Curtis, let's go on to the next question here. So that was the bad news. Got the bad news out of the way, but it's not all bad news in the world of Georgia football right now. We had the NFL Combine this past weekend in Indianapolis. And man, we had some dogs show out, Curtis, multiple dudes. So Aaron wants to go there. Aaron asks, which former Georgia football player helped his NFL draft stock the most this weekend? Curtis, honestly, like I had a tough time thinking about this question. I was like, man, there's a bunch of guys that I think helped themselves. But if you had to zero in on one guy that you think helped himself the most this weekend with his NFL draft combine performance, who are you going with? My opinion is there's no doubt that it's Nolan Smith. Um, okay. You know, he missed most of the season and I, or, you know, the last half of the season. And not only I forgot that, about him. Yeah. And well, not only that, but he was up and down for most of his career. Um, well, he was always a great run defender. He just wasn't ever the dynamic pass rusher that I guess people were hoping that he would grow into. Exactly. And so I think that this was a guy who a lot of people were, you know, t- going off measurables and just what they think and know he can do. But I think him going out there and putting it on, you know, showing it on film and just how athletic he truly is. I, I, you know, I think I always saw where he was, you know, floated as a first round or as a first round pick. But I think he truly solidified himself as a first round pick. And, do you and really? I, you think he's a surefire first rounder now? I do. I, because I, I think, I mean, you were seeing a lot of, a lot of uh, mock drafts had him in there, um, some higher than others, which shocked me. But I think that this really did. I think I think you're going to see him in the 20 range. Wow. I mean, he's got the thing is he's got the physical tools, the athleticism. But as you saw with a four three nine forty, I mean, how many how many DBs, receivers, running backs that he destroy with his 40 time? This guy's 235 pounds. But that's my next question, Curtis. To Nolan Smith. So 236, I think, is what he weighed in officially at the NFL Combine. That's a little light to play like a defensive end or a Jack linebacker at the NFL level, where do you project him to play? Like what position does this guy play at the next level? You know, that, that's the only hard thing is going to take the right team, with the right scheme to get him because he is, you know, to be, you would think he needs to be around 250 to hold up in the NFL, even as a Jack linebacker. Yeah. I, that's my only question for him is like, okay, positionally, like where, where do you play? You know, Curtis, I, I don't want, I'm not saying that he's Micah Parsons. But he kind of reminds me in a way of Micah Parsons coming out of coming out of college. Just Parsons did a lot of like rushing off the edge in college at Penn State, right? Yeah. And he played, he did play some stand-up stuff at, at Penn State more than Nolan did, but they're pretty comparable in their size. I think Parsons is like 240, 245 right now. Um, Nolan can easily get up to 240, 245, you know, when, when he gets in the NFL and, and they figure out what position, position he wants to play. Could Nolan and, and Parsons is, I mean, he rushes off the edge still that he's very versatile for the Cowboys. But he plays like inside linebacker for them. Like he pretty much does. He stands up. Like, can Nolan transition to a role like that, Curtis? Even though he never really did that at co- in college in exactly Georgia. Athletic enough, and Nolan is also a very smart player. Yeah, Nolan. I mean, he he was in a an like. Look, I mean, we're not an NFL program, but like we we do a lot of NFL type stuff. Um, training Kirby knows all these guys, so he's been around for a long time. He's been in our system. He understands how to play football and defensive football. I think he's got the athleticism. I think what what did Parsons run? Do you remember Curtis? I think it is pro day. I think he was also around like a four, like a, a sub four, four, like four, three, nine, four, three, eight. That's what I think so too. I think something like that. So I mean, if you're looking for a a, a, a comparable type athlete at in the NFL level right now, I think Michael Parsons is that guy. 
I just I I think Nolan could be one of those guys like Micah Parsons. I'm not saying he's gonna be as good as Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons might be the best player the defensive player in the NFL right now, but I think he's got the fiscal profile of a guy like that. So I'm just curious where do they like these NFL GMs and coaches, where do they view Nolan fitting? And I'm curious to see if they want to give him a shot at inside linebacker and say, you know what, like you're kind of slight in the shoulders. Um, you're, you're big, but you're not that big. I really hold up against these NFL offensive linemen are, you know, edge players or, or um, left and right tackles. So maybe we want to try you as a stand-up guy as an inside linebacker with your athleticism because no one played in the space a lot for us. You know, he, he played Jack, but he also would drop into coverage and do things like that. So it's not like he has no experience playing in space at all. So maybe he can find himself um, doing something like that, but I'm open to Nolan being a first round draft pick. I just, that's, that's, that's my only, that's my only hold up there. It's like, okay, where do they see him playing? And if I, but it just takes one team, just takes one team. I hope he gets drafted in the first round because that dude absolutely deserves it. All right, I'm going to go with, uh, man, there's, hmm, no one's a good answer. I'm going to go with Darnell Washington. Oh, that's, I mean, that was my second pick. Yeah. I, I felt coming into this weekend, if Darnell could run like sub four, seven, that he would be a lot for the first round. And what did Darnell do? He ran a four, six, four. And I think he tipped in at what, like 265, essentially 266, yeah, something 265 like that. Five and a very questionable height. They yeah, six him. six and five eights. Well, you also see a picture of him next to someone who's six seven after the combine, and he's a good half inch taller than him. Yeah, yeah. I know I know those numbers are supposed to be official, but sometimes you're like, really? Okay, all right. Well, regardless, I mean, let's just let's just round up and call him six seven, two sixty-five. So he's he's dropped some weight a little bit because there are, you know, I know for a fact that you know at times when he was here in Athens, he was like put he was like tipping at like two eighty. Right. So he's done a good job getting his body in shape and um, pulled out a four, six, four. Not only that, Curtis, he has the longest wingspan ever for a tight end in NFL combine history. I think he had the second largest hands ever for an NFL tight end. And you, I'm sure you guys saw this. Curtis. Did you see it? The uh, the, the one handed catch he made, like turning his body around, contorting oh, yeah, himself. Absolutely. absolutely. So when you see him doing things like that and putting up 40 times at four, six, four, and having that wingspan, we already know what he can do as a as a blocker. I think I think Darnell absolutely solidified himself as a surefire first round draft pick. Am I am I crazy there, Curtis? No, I think I think he was. See, and that's the reason I didn't go with him is because I thought he was always very borderline. Um, yeah, me too. And I, think I, 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 I thought if he ran like a four seven five or something like that, like, it's like oh man, like he's probably like an early second round guy. But if you can get like in the four six range, you got he's got to be a first round dude at that size. Yeah, and he, he put it together. So I think Darnell really helped himself. I think Nolan Nolan absolutely helped himself because he was kind of off the radar because you already missed the back half of last year. And people knew who Darnell was, but there are always the questions, okay, that size, well, how fast really are you? And I think we all watched him play, and we knew, knew how well this guy can move at that size. But for him to put up that time and to, be, and to have the measurements that he had with the wingspan and the hand size, man, like – he is a first round draft pick. Like there's zero question in my mind there. So, and I don't, and I don't know if that was the case. Like you said, I think he was borderline. I think now there's no question about it. He's a first round draft pick. It's just a matter of how high does he go at this point now? That's really what it comes down to. Uh, before we move on, Chris, I do have one more thing I want to ask you about here. Stetson Bennett. I, I, I strongly consider saying Stetson here, Curtis. I thought Stetson really helped himself out. What did you make of his combine performance? I thought he had a really good combine. I think there's no question, you know, he, did about everything that you asked could have asked him to do. Um, I think it comes down to the how do they view the measurables. I mean, you know, he measured in very similar to Bryce Young. So 
I mean, maybe there's certain things that they think separate Bryce Young and him, but the fact is that, you know, he has all the things. He's won all the big games. He has the same, not the same tools as Bryce Young. Bryce Young is a very special talent, but I think uh, Stetson has shown that he could do it on the big stage. So, it, you know, it really comes down to just what, how do they view him? And I think that, I think, honestly, you know, before the season, I would have said, or I think I said, I don't know if he'll be drafted, but I'd be shocked if he didn't, if he was out there come fifth round. Yeah, that that's that's that was my next question. Do you think he's going to get drafted? So you you are now saying you think he will get drafted? I could see him a fifth round pick. I think that's yeah. where I see him fourth and fifth. Yeah, I, I I said after the Oregon game, I was like, man, this guy's he's going to be an NFL quarterback, and I not, not maybe a starter. And there were, I got I got hammered, not hammered. That's probably a little strong, but there I got criticized from people out there saying, no man, you're just being reactionary, just one game. And I'm I'm like, no man, I think uh, he's doing all the things that NFL quarterbacks got to do. I know it's the size thing, but. The size issue is not as much of an issue now for NFL quarterbacks. Kurt, you mentioned Bryce Young. What is the di- like? What is the difference between Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett? Because like, they're viewed very, very differently out there by the average fan. What What makes Bryce Young just so much better than Stetson Bennett? You know, if I had to be honest, first off, I think pocket presence. I think you can. It's how he moves in the pocket, his capability. It makes it harder to tackle him no matter what size you are, where Stetson isn't as slippery. And I think his elusiveness is what makes Bryce Young Bryce Young because he can just move around out there. His ability to extend the play is elite. Like Stetson, Stetson can move. And Stetson is, I think, faster in a straight line than Bryce is. But he yeah. just doesn't have that elusiveness in the pocket, um, just ability to extend plays. It's just like the, the magic in the pocket, which is really what Bryce Young has. So I, I do think Bryce Young is better than Stetson, but Curtis, like, is the gap really as big as people want to make it out to be between these two? I don't know if it is. I, 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 think... I really don't think it's, it's, it's massive. I mean, there's, there's a difference, right? Like, yes, Bryce Young is, is more accomplished and sure. Like all that. Sure. And I think I would say Bryce over Stetson. I would, but I don't think it's like some monstrous gap between the two. I really, really don't. I mean, you look at size, you look at arm strength and curse. Well, what that that was probably the thing I th- I was most impressed with Stetson with. It's like the forty time. I knew Stetson was around the four six range, and he was kind of coasting. Did you see this? Him actually run the forty, Curtis? Yeah, it didn't feel like I've he was like it. he was coasting, man. Like he was there was a lot left in that tank. There was a lot. I think I think he was just trying not to pull something. I don't know. I think he could have run close like a four six flat, maybe really really wanted to. But did you see the strongest throw thing? I did, and I think he was fourth, I believe. He, I, well, for a second there, he was, maybe some more guys came in after him. He was tied with Will Levis, right? I think they both hit 59. And Will Levis is this guy that's seen like all these great NFL measurables, these tools, and like he's like Josh Allen with a strong arm and can And Will Levis has a great arm. And I, I love seeing Stetson have that. I think, it was, I think it was 59 was the highest he hit, that strongest throw. Because that was the one big knock so many people had about Stetson his entire career. Oh, he's got a noodle arm. He's got an average arm. Dude, you know what, Curtis? He threw the exact same with the exact same velocity in that same drill as Jacob Eason did. Jacob Eason also topped out at 59. And what was the, the story on Jacob Eason? Man, what a cannon. Can we now can we just put that to bed now, Curtis? The, the idea that Stetson does not have an arm? Can we just fair. put that to bed? I think that's fair. I mean, in, in the throws he was making out there in the throwing drills, like Stetson put on a show out there. He absolutely helped himself. Again, I don't think he's Bryce Young, but I also don't think like there's a, some sort of massive gap between the two that everyone wants to make it out to be. Bryce will be a first round draft pick. Stetson will probably be a fourth or fifth round draft pick. I get it. I just think if Stetson's given a chance, like he's always done, I think he'll go out there and produce. Will he be ever be a starting quarterback in the NFL? Probably not. Probably not. But 
over the years, I've learned one thing, ma'am. Don't ever count Stetson Bennett out. Just don't. Just don't count them out. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, uh, let's move it on here a little bit more, Curtis. Uh, this question's from Christian. Let's get away from the NFL combine for a minute here. Another bit of news that hit last week. I don't know if it's news. It's not an official report, but I guess it's still a report of some sort. But Christian says, if the Sports Illustrated report is to be believed, how is Kentucky one of our three permanent rivals? That makes no sense geographically or historically. That can't be accurate, right? So, Kurt, what's your take on that? In case if you guys missed this, I want to make sure we put this disclaimer out there. This was not an official report by Sports Illustrated saying, hey, this is what it's going to be. This was Ross Dellinger from, from Sports Illustrated putting this out there on social media for every team in the SEC who he believes, his what he say, his best educated guess of who the three permanent rivals would be for each SEC program in the conference. And he, but this is not just him throwing against the wall. Everybody's done this since the announcement of, of Oklahoma and Texas coming to the league. Everybody and their brother's done this. But what makes this SI report a little bit different, Curse, if we want to call a report, is that he's basing this on actual conversations with stakeholders, with people within athletic departments, with people within the SEC office that he knows, sources that he's getting this information from. He's taking the information that they gave him, piecing it together, and this is what he was able to come up with. And what he had as Georgia's three permanent rivals was Florida and Auburn, which I think are givens. Like, that's going to happen. The third one was always up for grabs. I, I thought South Carolina. I thought Tennessee. And I had heard Kentucky, you know, a month or so ago. I just didn't put much stock in it. But according to Ross Dellinger, it's going to be Kentucky, at least in his most educated guess based on his conversations with people who would know these things. So, Curse, if it is indeed Kentucky, nothing's official. But if it does indeed end up being Kentucky, what's up with that? How do you feel about it? Um, I, I kind of am have very similar sentiments in the fact that, you know, you don't really have this history with Kentucky like we do South Carolina. Um, and I think that's why it's kind of more of a surprise. I mean, Kentucky has been good under Mark Stoops, but for a long time, I mean, there really was, I mean, I know South Carolina has been up and down, but um, it just makes so much more sense with our history in South Carolina. It it does. It does. Of course, we didn't play them every year until 92 when they entered the SEC. Now we, we've played them more historically than we have Kentucky. That is, that is certainly true. Uh, but we don't have like a long history with South Carolina, like we do with Florida or Auburn, anything like that. It's more just like a border thing, like a proximity thing. And like the w- reason I always thought it would be South Carolina is be- it's not an, an us thing. South Carolina does guys. They view us as their number one rival in the SEC. And that's the way they look at us. 
And that's why I've always kind of found humor in this rivalry, if you want to call it, because like we look at them as like what, Curtis, maybe like fifth on our rivalry list, maybe something like that, like behind Florida, behind Tech, behind Auburn. I would say for me behind Tennessee. So fifth. And they look at us clearly as number two behind Clemson and number one in the SEC. So it's kind of like, oh, this means more to you guys than it actually does to us. Like, we just beat you. It's what we do. When you beat us, like, the whole world stops for you. So I thought it was going to be South Carolina for that reason. I thought they would really want us and that they would kind of pressure the SEC to, to, to make that happen. And with the proximity, just, you know, border rivalry kind of makes sense. Um, if it wasn't going to be South Carolina, I was hoping for Tennessee because I have a lot of hatred for Tennessee. And that's a fun, that's a, you know, it's, it, they care about, SEC football, it's a big fan base. It's a big deal when you go up there for games, even when they're not good. So I, I would have been all for that. Kentucky was one I really wasn't thinking about. Actually, I told you guys I was upset when you know, one of the reasons I was upset that Texas and Oklahoma were joining the league is that I wouldn't be able to go to Lexington every other year for a trip. So selfishly, Curtis, I love having Kentucky. I'd rather have Kentucky than South Carolina selfishly because I love going to Lexington. It's a unique kind of trip. Um, it's fun. It's a great little town. And I, and I, don't, would never really get a chance to go there, I guess, once every four years if it wasn't for us playing football games there. So selfishly, I'm very excited that I still get to keep this on my, my, I guess, every other year football road trip list. But, I mean, how do you feel about it? Like, would you rather play Kentucky or would you rather play South Carolina? I think I'd rather play South Carolina, but, I mean, realistically, at the same time, it doesn't really do much for me. Like, it, I mean, I'm, with the third one, it's really a, a, like it could go either way. Yeah. Why do you why do you think they did go with Kentucky? If, if it is, if it is, if it does end up being true that Kentucky is our third permanent rival, why why do you think the SEC went with Kentucky over South Carolina for us? You know, I actually can't really g- give you a true legitimate reason because I, I struggle, you know, trying to come up with my own reasoning myself. If I had to be honest, I, you know, so you I'm sure you saw Nick Saban, right? Like there, oh, the report was yeah. that he was crying because, yeah, like, yeah, you and I laughed about that. Yeah, I, and look, I, honestly, Curtis, like, I mean, if you're if you're Nick Saban and you're the head coach of Alabama and the SEC tells you, hey, you got Tennessee, you got Auburn, you got LSU, I mean, is there a tougher draw of, for any team? Really I know they're is. Alabama. I mean, there isn't, but the thing is, like, what did you expect? Look at who your rivals are. I mean, it makes the most sense when you think about it. I thought, honestly, with, with them getting Auburn and Tennessee, which I thought were givens for them, I thought they would give the Mississippi State. Because, like, geographically, they're the closest in proximity of any two campuses in, in the SEC. Like I see that. Away. I just think that they weren't ready to get rid of the LSU rivalry. It's as simple as that. Like, they know it's always – forever was the 8 p.m. CBS game. Like, it's always been a, a hot ticket. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, for the for the past, what, man, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it's kind of been that way going back when they played – I mean, even before they played for the national championship, but um, certainly since then. And, and South, going back to South Carolina, so they gave South Carolina, they gave them Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Hmm. So, so well, South the Carolina. one that I think is most wild was Florida, I think, because they got Oklahoma. Of course, I had heard this like a month ago and I laughed it off. Like, I, heard some, I forget who said somebody's like, I'm hearing the Oklahoma, like Florida's gonna get Oklahoma as a permanent rival. I was like, Are you freaking kidding me? Like, no way that's gonna happen. And then it yeah, did. That's the one, if I actually had to be or honest, reported odd is that one. I mean, Florida got Georgia, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. That's weird. I mean, I don't South know. Carolina is at least a makeup for the other two, but still. Well, see, the, the other part of this is they, they, because according to Nick Saban, like he, went to SI to Ross Dellinger and put this out there because obviously Nick Saban is one of the guys that Ross Dellinger talked to when he was trying to piece this together. And, and Saban told him, I'm sure Dellinger asked him, hey, like, 
have you heard anything on who your permanent rivals are going to be? And Saban's like, hell yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> like, he's like, hey, they're giving us this. And so he's like, man, can I write, can I, can I take this public? Can I, can I quote you on that? And Saban's like, hell yeah, quote me on that. That's exactly how that went down. Um, so that, I mean, he's talking to people that actually know. So that's why I, I'm putting a lot of stock into what Dellinger's saying, even though it's not like official, official. But um, I mean, I think, you know, oh, anyway, well, sorry, back to what I was saying. Lost my train of thought there. Uh, Saban mentioned in that article, do you see this, Curtis, about how they, the SEC is using a 10 year like success metric to kind of balance out the schedule? Did you see that? I did not, but. Yeah. So allegedly, apparently, what they've done is they've gone back and they've gone over the past 10 years. And they've looked, okay, how many games you won, how many games you've lost, basically like a power ranking more or less. And they want to try to level out as much as they possibly can. And so I was curious, okay, hmm, okay, over the last 10 years, how successful has Kentucky been relative to South Carolina? And over the past decade, Carolina is 67 and 58, Kentucky is 64 and 59. So a negligible difference there. So Kentucky is, I guess, over the past decade would be a slightly less difficult game, but not really dramatically now, but if you went back to, if you went over the course of 15 years, like back, cause that would take you back to the Spurrier years of South Carolina. The only time they're ever really good in the history of their program. Then they, they have like a, a 10 to, I think it's like a 12 game edge on Kentucky. So take about over 15 years. Sure. Kentucky's a, a less difficult game than, um, than South Carolina. So maybe that slightly factored in because you look at who they gave us. I mean, Auburn and Florida Curtis historically are good SEC programs. And so I guess, you know, they were trying to give us a little bit of a break if they could, and they feel like over the past 10, 15 years that maybe Kentucky has, they've been successful, but maybe not as successful as South Carolina. But I don't think there's that much of a difference there. So I, yeah, when there's that, when there's not that much of a difference in their relative success, I'm surprised they didn't go with us with a, with a border rivalry. But hey, I'll take it I'm selfishly, I'm excited to be able to go to Lexington because I, I love that trip. What did you make? Who do you think got the easiest one, Kurt? Did you take a look at all of them? I think Tennessee did. Yes. Are you kidding me, Tennessee? Vanderbilt? Yeah, Alabama, sure, okay. I knew they were going to get Vanderbilt, but South Carolina? Vandy, Bama, South Carolina. That is by far the easiest of any of these. Maybe you could say Ole Miss. The Ole Miss got Mississippi State, LSU, and Arkansas. But Tennessee, who is a much better program than Ole Miss historically, I mean, they got off so easy. But, hey, you know, that's the way it works, I guess. Anyway, all right, last question here, Curtis. This one um, is kind of unrelated, but Paul sent this question in, and I didn't know when we'd have a chance to get to another mailbag, so I wanted to make sure to answer Paul's questions. Paul's always a, a very loyal listener. always appreciate it, Paul. Uh, so last one here today, Curtis. Uh, Paul asks, we've got four returning starters on the offensive line, and it seems like everyone has all but penciled in Ernest Green as a starting tackle. I think you and I, Curtis, both did that as well. Um, but who do you think the next two to three guys on the offensive line will be? Each of the past two years, we've had the luxury of being able to rotate proven guys in, but the second unit this year is a bit of a mystery. It makes me slightly nervous for 2024 because I think we're going to lose Mims, Van Pram, Tate Ratledge, and Xavier Trust to the draft after this season. I agree with you, Paul. I think we will lose all four of those guys. And this is a good question, Curtis. He's right. I think we are set. Like we, we might win the, actually win the Joe Moore Award this year, maybe, if everything goes as planned. But who are the next guys in line? So if you're looking at the roster, Curtis, after this season, who are those two or three guys that you feel good about stepping in and filling those roles? Well, one guy I think that I have a really good feeling, especially on the outside, is that, um, you know, uh, early enrollee Monroe Freeling. Monroe Freeling, yeah. I think he is going to be the next great offensive tackle for our group that he has really exploded in the rankings and his body and everything the last couple of months. If you guys haven't seen his high school tape, and I, I know watching high school tape offensive linemen is tough because like they're just physically dominant over the guys they're playing against. 
But watch how this guy moves. Watch the athleticism, the strength, all of it. He is the total package. I'm extraordinarily high on him. He's, I always, I, during the entire cycle, I was like, how is this guy not a five-star? I don't understand. And finally at the end, of course, you know, he jumps up there. I think him and Ernest Green are the, are the book and tackles for the next couple of years. Are you with me on that, Kurt? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now on the interior, who do you see? Like guard center? Like those are where I think the questions are. Blasky is someone who I think is going to step in at center. Yeah, Blasky, I think he's he's the one. He's the heir apparent, I believe, right now. Things have changed at center. What about guard? Yeah, guard. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see someone like Drew Bobo really start to grow. Yeah, he's a guy when he came to the program was not ready. You know, like he he is he was a developmental guy. But give him, you know, going into next not twenty twenty three, going to twenty twenty four, he'll have essentially two and a half three years in the program. And you would like to think that he could develop by that point. Um, what about a guy you mentioned last week, Curtis, Dylan Fairchild? Oh, I think at guard, he is the, no question, the heir apparent to someone say like Tate Ratledge. Yeah, I don't know if I would go as far as say, like, I'm going to pencil him in right now, but kind of. Like, I, I might go that far. Uh, I think he's, you know, with the wrestling background. Um, I've heard a lot of really good things about him um, from people outside coming, coming out of the program. I'm fairly confident he's going to factor in. Maybe not as much this year. I think he might be like a sixth man this year. I think he might. Um, but uh, I think going to 2024, like he'll he'll be one of those dudes. Uh, Micah Moore is a guy that was really highly recruited. Curse. Do you have any expectations for him moving forward? Um, I'm not sure. I think he could at guard. I just don't. You know, even in spring games, you just really haven't seen much from him. Yeah, I haven't seen as much from him. Um, I just haven't seen as much of him on the field. I, I know at the high school level, he was highly recruited. I liked what I saw in his tape. Again, it's harder to project offensive lineman, in my opinion, than any other position coming out of high school. Uh, I just, it's hard for me to have an educated guess on him because I don't, I actually haven't seen enough of him, you know? Like, it's tough. I don't know. I know he was highly recruited and he's got that, that profile, but I need to see more of it on the field. He's one of those guys I'll be watching very closely, G Day, you know, here in a couple of months, because I, I think he's a guy that, could potentially be an answer. I just don't know. I haven't seen enough of him yet. Another guy, Curtis, I was hearing some whispers about coming out of a practice this past season was Jared Wilson. He's a big, big dude. Do you see him being a guy that could factor in on the inside? Um, it wouldn't shock me a guard. Um, the road grader style, um, it, it really would not shock me. And I think well, you seeing us put trust at guard last year, and obviously, you know, Devin Willick, RIP, my, my dear friend, um, big, we, we were kind of moving in that direction of a bigger stronger interior just be able to like move people and i think jared wilson certainly kind of fits that mold um we'll see i think for him for morris for fairchild and even freeling as well but especially the guys that have already been on campus i think this is a big spring for them because you can like like paul's kind of alluding to here we need to get those guys we, we rotate on the offensive line this year Chris, which we haven't always done in the past so who are those guys if we're going to rotate again this year with stacy searles who are those guys going to be and who's going to kind of position themselves in that second unit to be the guys to step in in 2024 when all these guys like Paul mentioned, I think are all going to go pro. So it's, it's a great question. I think Dylan Fairchild, I think Michael Morris will be in the conversation, Wilson. And I, I like you, Curtis, I'm very, very high on Monroe Freeling. So Paul, my friend, I hope that puts you at least a little bit at ease moving into the future as it regards the Georgia offensive line. But all right, guys, that does it for stay here on the glory UGA podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. I hope everyone gets their week off to a fantastic start. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. We'll be back later this week. And as always, go dogs.